Ready? Born ready. tuning in to where the party at your favorite political podcast if you are a regular thank you for rocking with us week after week if you're new to the show welcome this is your go-to spot to hear what's happening in atlanta and in national politics and of course what's happening in the peach state georgia we tell you what's happening and why you should care about it All right, so into the pod we go. Uh, First up today, if you are in Atlanta, it's no surprise that we have an affordable housing crisis. Uh, Now, some will say Atlanta is affordable, but the reality is we just don't have enough of what's called deeply affordable housing, right? And so an individual would have to make about $20 an hour to afford a one-bedroom in Atlanta. And then obviously where that is makes a big difference, right? A one bedroom in a place like Inman Park or Buckhead or some other uh, trendier neighborhood is going to be way more expensive than a one bedroom in another part of town. And then you all should know this if you don't already, your housing costs should only be about one third of your income. So that $20 Again, that $20 an hour could be a stretch just depending on what part of town you want to live in. And then the other part of this housing challenge that we face in the city is that if you want to save money and live near transit, it's much more expensive to live near a rail station. So in the Atlanta affordable housing news, Mayor Andre Dickens announced last week that he approved a deal with Atlanta Housing, previously known as the Atlanta Housing Authority, to settle this long-standing beef between Integral Group, which is a developer, and and Atlanta Housing. So what's the story here? So let me give you a little bit of the inside politics on this. Integral is Black-owned. It's owned by a guy named Egbert Perry. And he has been a big developer in Atlanta for years and has worked with Atlanta Housing for decades. Now, Atlanta Housing is what's called a quasi-governmental agency. So The board is appointed by the mayor of Atlanta, and the mayor has the authority to hire or fire the CEO. Now, the current board is made up of folks who were either appointed by Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms or Mayor Kasim Reed. And Andre, we all know, was just elected, so he has not had an opportunity to appoint any board members. He would have to. Now, you're on term, so that means that he can either One, ask the entire board to resign and appoint his own board members, or as people's terms expire, he can appoint people to replace those. So the current CEO of Atlanta Housing, this guy's name is Eugene Jones. He came to Atlanta from Chicago, a big town, a big city rather, that's known for a pretty good housing agency. So back to, you know, kind of the deal here. So Atlanta Housing brokered a deal way back, I think this was around 2011, for Integral to buy property that Atlanta Housing owned. There was nothing on that property, it was just vacant land. 
for below market rate. So cheaper than what you or I could go buy it for, right? Cheaper than what the market demands for it. So Kasim Reed was mayor at the time and he had a big issue with the deal. He um, basically, you know, said that he had the city, the city sue Integral, the developer, on charges of racketeering and fraud and a scheme to, quote, fleece the city and defraud the public out of large swaths of land intended for affordable housing. Back then, this was a huge thing. There was a lot of legal back and forth for years. So one of the things that happened around this whole back and forth between the mayor and Integral was like straight out of a TV show, like straight out of Boss, if you all ever watched that. Finessing, pleading, threatening, on my goddamn knees, debasing myself for what? For the contracts, for the jobs. So Kasim sent two city hall officials to Egbert Perry's office and had them deliver this message. And I'm going to quote this from a lawsuit. You will relinquish your rights, they're talking about, to the property. Otherwise, we will make it difficult, if not impossible, for you to do business in the city of Atlanta. End quote. So, it's fair to say, in the last election cycle, Egbert Perry did not want Kasim Reed to be reelected as mayor of Atlanta. Um, and I didn't look at the disclosures, but if I had to guess, I would assume that he certainly... Uh, supported and backed Andre Dickens to some extent, right? Because he was very much motivated to have a friendly face in the mayor's seat. Uh, so a few days ago, Andre Dickens held a press conference um, and he announced that Atlanta Housing had finally reached a deal and was going to settle this ongoing dispute between the authority and the developer. And that because of this, Atlanta Housing can focus back on what their mission is, which is to provide affordable housing to the people of Atlanta. So the deal has been approved by the board. Uh, we will see what happens next. And why is this such a big deal? So this lawsuit, again, has been going on for, I think, eight years or so now. Uh, so millions of dollars has been spent. Atlanta housing has a backlog. And this was around the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic. 24,000 folks on their waiting list, right? And so I can imagine that number has grown in the past year or two. There's obviously a lot of people in the city who need affordable housing and a lot of people who need deeply affordable housing. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening and if indeed Atlanta Housing gets back to the business of building affordable housing units. All right. In other Atlanta news, I went to an event last week about Buckhead Cityhood. It was moderated. It was a moderate discussion. There was one pro person, one anti person um, represented. Right. So on the stay anti cityhood side was former state senator and Buckhead resident Ed Lindsay uh, representing the leave or or, um, you know, annexing from the city of Atlanta side was current state senator Brandon Beach. He represents Cherokee and parts of North Fulton. He does not represent the city of Atlanta. So this was the first event of its kind, right? There's been a lot of discussion about Buckhead cityhood, but it's been elected officials talking to uh, other elected officials, but there hasn't been this kind of community conversation around it. Um, and by the way, 
and someone I have someone fact checking me on this, but in in Georgia, there has never been a de a successful de-annexation where a portion of a city tries to split and create their own city. That has never successfully happened before. Now you've had we've had uh, portions of a county uh, separate and become their own city, but we've never had a portion of a city separate to become its own city. So the other interesting thing about this whole effort, uh, the, fully, the Fulton County representatives and senators who represent Atlanta, they're all against this bill. They're all against Buckhead cityhood. So is the mayor, so is the city council. And so if you are a Republican who again is pro-local control, then you should indeed be someone who listens to the voice of the people uh, and, and have the folks who actually represent that area determine the future of that area. So take a listen to what Ed Lindsay said about that. And uh, the Speaker of the House has sort of talked about uh, his concerns with this bill in terms of setting a bad precedent. And I want to sort of explain to you, a big part of it is, is exactly this issue is that we have two kinds of bills in Georgia. Uh, we have uh, general bills and local bills, and local bills only deal with that local area. We have never created a city in this state without support from the local delegation, without the support of legislators who live in the area. We've never done that before. Even when we were taking on uh, the issue, the legislature took on the possible issue of Stockbridge and Eagles Landing. That was supported by legislators who were from that area. There's a reason for that, and that when we go to the General Assembly, uh, you know, we look at, you know, for the, you know, we, we take full responsibility for bills that impact the entire state. But when it comes to the local communities, Historically, we turn to local delegation to go, okay, is, is this something your community really wants? And, and in this case, that's not being done. And I appreciate you calling out Senator Halpern. Uh, and also I see here uh, my, my representative, Representative Holland. Uh, you know, these, and, and once again, I hate to say this, but contrary to, to allegations that have been made by the supporters, uh, of this movement who claim that none of the legislators live in Bucket. I'd like to introduce you to, to those two people who live in Bucket. <laughs> uh, Senator Halpern uh, lives in Bucket, has lived in Bucket for quite a while. Uh, Representative Holland has lived in Bucket for quite a while as well. And, and not only them, but there are other members of the Atlanta, of the Bucket delegation. And it never dawned on me when I was in the General Assembly uh, to, uh, to try to go into a local another local <clears throat> community and dictate to them how things were to be done if they didn't have somebody in that local area supporting it. Well, with, and, and if I let, could, me, let me just ask you this, though, because I, I want to make sure that we don't... So this event was pretty rowdy there was an open bar and maybe that was the reason but it was like <laughs> folks were about two drinks away from a wwe match um it almost felt like i was at a trump rally only in the sense that folks kept uh they kept interrupting they were just very vocal if 
Uh, Ed Lindsay, who you just heard speaking, said something that they disagreed with. There were, you know, boos and interruptions. It was quite a bit. Um, so, you know, the other thing it was clear that was clear to me is these folks had zero love for Keisha Lance Bottoms, and I do mean zero. And it also felt like they weren't much willing to give Andre Dickens a fair shake. You know, he just got elected. He's in the first 100 days. Um, and so one would hope that they would at least uh, hear what the mayor has to say before moving forward. Now, there are still a lot of legislative hurdles to get this referendum, to get this bill on the ballot for November. So take a listen to another clip uh, from this event. One of the moderators, Theron Johnson, who is a Buckhead resident, asked Senator Brandon Beach if he was willing to commit to working with Atlanta's leaders, such as the mayor, to help bring the community together if Buckhead Cityhood deed indeed fails. So take a listen to what he said. I'm willing to meet with the opposition. Uh, I look forward to meeting with you. I have met, uh, I've, I've met Andre Dickens at a, a party, in, uh, or Mayor Dickens, and he said he wanted to meet. I have not heard from him, but I'm sure he'll reach out to me. I know his new chief of staff cannot. Uh, can, but, but real quick, can yeah. answer my question. If, but, if it fails, which right now it looks like it's on life support, it's not over, but, but will you commit to regrouping and working with all of the people you just named well, and making sure that you are on the front line dealing with some of these issues that we face. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think oh, that, I think that exactly, I think I'm willing to meet with anybody, but they need to go meet with the residents and be engaged and, and get them on, on their side. I mean, that, let, let's just be honest, folks. Keisha Lance Bottoms would not meet with these people. That's what's caused all this. Yeah. I mean, she would never meet she, with them. She's no longer the mayor. But she's no longer the yeah. mayor, and I agree with that. Okay. It's a new sheriff in town, as you said, yeah. and a new administration. But they want to see more than just a, a, a little precinct building. They want, to, they want to see him coming out and meeting with them. All right, so, let, me, let, anyway. me sort of, let me finish up. Yeah. So just, um, just to wrap up, it, because it's, it, it's past eight. So. Yeah, I know that. But let, let me go ahead and, 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 yeah, and wrap up. Time, this. So you're gonna, why don't you let Corey ask your question, and then you okay. can wrap it up. Right. Thank you. So, so I think what we've been talking about here is, is this. We've been talking about the difficulty of getting a bill passed. And, and we have not been addressing the grievances that people have about crime. About so also last week, more than 30 Buckhead businesses, most of these were big Buckhead landowners, published a letter coming out against Buckhead Cityhood. This coalition owns a collective 4.7 billion with a B dollars in real estate value <laughs> in Buckhead. And they account for about $57 million in annual property taxes to the city. So, by the way, Senator Raphael Warnock, who is a resident of the city of Atlanta, was asked his take on Buckhead cityhood, and he said it was a local issue. So he did not uh, opine whether he was for or against it, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Alrighty, next on the list. Now you've heard us on this podcast talk about redistricting. Uh, we had an episode where we broke down what's called cracking and packing. So cracking, just a reminder, is separating concentrations of voting groups, for example, minorities, uh, to spread their voting power across several districts. And then you have packing. Packing is drawing those district lines to concentrate 
members of a specific voting group into one district. So it creates a majority of likely voters or supporters in adjacent districts. Okay, so there's a big redistricting showdown that's happening in Cobb and Gwinnett counties. Now, both Cobb and Gwinnett flipped from Republican control to Democratic control in 2020. And so and this was at the county commission level um, and many other countywide seats like district attorney or sheriff uh, in Gwinnett. The county commission is entirely minority, so it's all black and Asian. Uh, and as you can imagine, this ticked off uh, county Republicans. So they are redrawing the lines to try to regain or at least balance the power. Um, and even though these counties went blue, these lines are being redrawn to switch at least one of the districts from Democrat to safe Republican. Which brings me to my next point here about swing states. So Georgia is officially a swing state. According to the AJC, the number of registered voters is up 11% since four years ago. And most of these folks are new voters under the age of 35 who live in metro areas. They're much more racially diverse with big increases in Hispanic and Asian voters. And this is part of the reason why we started this podcast, because local, state, and national elections can be determined by the under 35 voting crowd. So about 12% of the state's new voters are in Fulton County, followed by Gwinnett, DeKalb, and Cobb counties. And again, this helps explain these redistricting maps that Republicans are pushing. By the way, the Georgia governor's race is about to be crazy expensive. Uh, Stacey Abrams announced that she has raised $9.2 million since jumping in, and she has $7 million cash on hand. Governor Brian Kemp has raised $7.4 million, and he has nearly $13 million cash on hand. Damn. So I think this race is going to come down to independence and the 35 and under crowd. And by the way, Vernon Jones just announced that he is dropping out of the governor's race and he's instead going to run for Congress. He did endorse uh, his uh, former opponent, uh, former state, former Senator David Perdue. Why do they announce the money? Because in, in politics, in, an, in a campaign, you're trying to figure out who has the edge, right? And normally, how much money you've raised gives you a sense of where that campaign is going to go, right? So they have to report every there's a period of reporting that's required and so they just finished that reporting period and so this helps give a sense of how many uh how big can your tv ads be right how many people are you going to be able to hire uh, do you have money for the ground game right so do you have money to go have people knocking on doors calling voters doing all those things that require a lot of money Advertise on podcasts. Advertise on podcasts. Hey, there you go. Um, and so speaking of Stacey Abrams, just as an aside, I feel like I have to mention this. She was speaking at a school. I want to say this was in Decatur or somewhere in DeKalb County. Uh, and the children were masked. Um, and all the photos that were released, she was not masked. And so Republicans, rightfully so, jumped on it and said, you know, hey, Democrats, you're, you're the party of 
everyone must be masked and our kids must be masked. And then here you have a gubernatorial candidate walking around without a mask. And the Abrams campaign ended up deleting the photos off of social media, which, by the way, I mean, they're out there, right? It was retweeted many times. It was screenshotted many times. And so the photos are out. The campaign released a statement. They didn't apologize for it, if I recall, but it was basically like a deflection, like, hey, don't worry about what we're doing. Really, you should be focusing on X, Y, Z. Um, and another kind of funny, although I do feel bad for the person, um, at the same time, there was like a posting for a social media manager for the Abrams campaign, which, by the way, I'm not blaming the social media manager for that because I'm sure that had to... I'm sure someone else saw that before it was posted. Um, but it, you know, it's a reminder that Democrats sometimes can be hypocritical um, when it comes to things like the mask mandate and when to wear a mask and who should wear a mask. And I think you're going to start to see that shift. There's already been two uh, Democratic governors who have pulled back their mask mandates, uh, one in Delaware, and I believe the other one was Colorado. Back to uh, one more thing in kind of metro Georgia politics. Transit Equity Day was last week, last Friday. Uh, and in the spirit of transit equity, Congressman Hank Johnson, who represents DeKalb, he sent a three-page letter to the Georgia Department of Transportation and copied the U.S. Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg. Now, that might be a name you recognize because he ran for president in the last cycle. So GDOT, that's the Georgia Department of Transportation, is proposing a very, very expensive overhaul of the I-20 and I-285 exchange that would basically kill the idea of heavy rail, MARTA heavy rail in South DeKalb. Now, this has been like a 30, 40 year promise for transit to come to South DeKalb. Now, the GDOT project would cost more than $600 million. So that obviously could go a long way to helping bring transit uh, to South DeKalb. So Congressman Johnson said this project would lead to more congestion and more pollution. And this is, again, in an area South DeKalb serves a predominantly, it's a predominantly black area. Now, I don't know if GDOT is going to change their plans or rethink their process, but this is just a reminder to you that elections matter at every level of government. So the person who wins the governor's seat this year will be appointing the GDOT commissioner and the board, right? And so those kind of policies happen at that level. Uh, the person that you elect for mayor of Atlanta and for your county chairs, they select who's going to serve on the MARTA board. So all politics is local. Remember that when you were sitting in traffic, okay? All right. Now let's talk about what's happening in national politics. Last week, I think this was last week on the pod, we talked about a bill in Georgia to allow for constitutional carry, meaning that you don't need a permit to carry a gun, including if you want to conceal that weapon, you wouldn't need a permit. So a 22-year-old black guy named Amir Locke was shot and killed by Minneapolis police, I believe this was last week, during a no-knock raid. Uh, Locke was asleep on the couch when the police busted in. He owned a gun uh, legally, and he had a concealed carry permit. In about three seconds from the police barging in, um, and a reminder, a no-knock warrant means that the police are not knocking on your door and announcing, hi, we're the police, would you please let us in? We want to talk to you. 
Um, so they shot Locke three times and killed him. And this is, again, in a matter of seconds of entering the door. And he wasn't even the target. He wasn't even the person listed on the warrant. So the National Rifle Association, the most gun-loving 2A, that Second Amendment group out there, has not said a word about this case, uh, which seems like it is a self-defense case. So I think we should be having a conversation about if no-knock warrants are something that should still be allowed, uh, especially at a time when gun ownership is so high during the pandemic. Gun ownership has shot through the roof as people have been requesting uh, and filing permits. Now, we're giving folks even easier access to guns through policies like constitutional carry, and we're not paying attention to the unintended consequences. So what does this mean for law enforcement in particular? And when they are trying to enforce the law, police, protect the peace, all of that, and they don't know who has a gun, who doesn't, if you should have a gun, there's just a lot of unknowns there that we should be paying attention to. And reminder that sometimes there are unintended consequences to policies that we think make sense. You know, every time I hear about the January 6th attack or read something, I just learn something new every single time. Uh, and I remain flabbergasted. Yes, flabbergasted <laughs> by the Republicans' response to the aftermath of January 6th. So a few things happened that I want to highlight here. Uh, number one, former Vice President Mike Pence finally came out and said that Trump was wrong to say that Pence could have overturned the election results. Now, he did this a year later, but he finally did it. Um, listen to what he said this past Friday while speaking to the Federalist Society history of the United States Capitol. Lives were lost and many were injured. But thanks to the courageous action of the Capitol Police and federal law enforcement, the violence was quelled, the Capitol was secured, and we reconvened the Congress that very same day to finish our work under the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this country. And I heard this week that President Trump said I had the right to overturn the election. But President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. And I had no right to change the outcome of our election. And Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. Maybe Pence changed his tune because a new video was just released by the bipartisan committee charged with investigating the attack. Now, fair warning, this video is pretty explicit, so if you have kids around, uh, tell them to close their ears. Listen to this. I'm telling you what, I'm hearing the pence. I'm hearing the pence just caved. No. Is that true? I didn't I'm hear hear, I'm hearing no. reports the pence caved. No. I'm telling you, if pence caved, we're going to drag motherfuckers through the streets. You fucking politicians are going to get fucking drugged through the streets. Yeah. Because we're not going to have our fucking shit stolen. We're not going to have our election, our country stolen. If we find out you politicians voted for it, we're going to drag your fucking ass through the street. Because it's the second fucking revolution. So let me find out, Pence. Let me find out myself that you treason the country. We'll fucking drag your ass too. Cut their freaking head off. Cut their head off. You can do it. 
You do the right thing or we're going to force you to do the right thing. If that doesn't sound like some Game of Thrones, Dang. medieval, something just that sounds crazy to hear that in America. Um, and again, it's why I'm so perplexed by the Republicans response to all of this. So speaking of the Republican National Committee voted to censure their Republican colleagues, Representative Liz Cheney and Representative Adam Kissinger. Uh, both of them were participating in this inquiry into the deadly riot in the Capitol. They are part of this bipartisan committee investigating it. So the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Rona McDaniel, she said this, and I quote, they chose to join Nancy Pelosi in a Democratic-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse that had nothing to do with violence at the Capitol, end quote. So the censorship resolution also has this bit. The RNC shall cease any and all support of them, talking about uh, Liz and Adam, shall cease any and all support of them as members of the Republican Party. So I thought that was really interesting because Liz Cheney is up for re-election this year. She has a Trump-backed candidate. Now Adam Kinzinger is deciding to not seek re-election. So that means Liz Cheney, uh, because she is being censured, and the censorship says that they will not have any support from the Republican Party, meaning that she is on her own for her re-election. They are not going to be helping her campaign. And so the, the censorship document that the resolution is about a two-page document that says, you know, whereas the Republican Party and it kind of lists here are our ideals and this is why you are not aligning with our ideals and therefore we disapprove and it's, um, it's kind of like a punishment, uh, but just a verbal punishment. Um, but their verbal punishment also includes that we are not giving you any more money. So again, it's just kind of interesting to see uh, what, you know, what's happening as further cements Trump's hold on the Republican Party. Um, and I really feel, you know, it's so funny. I have Republican friends who quietly are incredibly frustrated by the state of the party. Uh, but they feel that there's not much they can do. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer held a press conference on Friday to push for the federal decriminalization of weed. Now, there's already a bill that passed the House. And by the way, Gallup uh, did a poll in 2020 that showed that 68% of Americans support legalizing weed. Now, compare that to a poll they did in 1969 when only 12% supported legalizing weed. Uh, in that Gallup poll, the one from 2020, that you might find this interesting, and maybe not what you expect, the highest support came from those who are college educated and those who make $100,000 or more. So President Biden has said he's for decriminalizing but not for legalizing weed. And in April of 2021, the White House said legalization should be up to the states. Now, by the way, if you're wondering what's the difference between decriminalizing and legalizing, so decrim or decriminalizing means that it's still illegal, but if you're found in possession of a small amount, you're not going to face jail time. In Atlanta, it is decriminalized. 
Uh, but in Fulton County, if you're in another part of the of uh, the Fulton County, you could still go to jail and get locked up for that. Um, so for decriminalization, at most, you may have to pay a small fine um, or go to drug treatment, but you're not going to jail. For legalization, that means, obviously, it's no longer illegal. Now, there may be restrictions, again, on how much you have on you in any different, in any time, but it's no different from buying alcohol, right? Which, by the way, I don't think there's any restriction on how much alcohol you have on you at any given time. Just a thought. Um, and you also just want to plug, uh, we talked about weed, I think, a couple segments ago when we gave our party starter award to, gosh, his name escapes me, but he's running for Senate in Louisiana, and he was the first candidate to ever light up a joint in a campaign commercial and push for uh, federal um, approval or federal uh, decriminalization of weed, or legalization, I should say, of weed. We are at our last segment of the show, our favorite, our party poopers. Party poopers. And our party starters. Party starter. So. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. My party pooper of the week goes to the Republicans and the Democrats who are eliminating competition by drawing safe seats during this whole redistricting process. Now, nationally, with the new maps that are happening across the country, there are less than 40 seats out of 435 congressional seats that are considered competitive. Now, the last time the maps were drawn, which was 10 years ago, there were about 70 competitive seats. Every 10 years, it gets more and more political as each party tries to hold on to their power. Now, in 1992, just again to give a sense of how bad this has gotten, the, the 1992 election between Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush, there was within there were a 108 congressional districts where there was only a five-point difference. In the election between Biden and Trump, there were only 22 districts with a five-point difference. So at the end of the day, voters are not getting much of a choice, and the politicians don't have to worry too much about accountability. So this, in my opinion, is another proof point to have a national conversation about if and how to reform the two-party system because we're not getting competitive districts. We're not getting candidates who are putting forth the people's best interests, and instead you're having a clear winner and loser based off of party and partisan lines. What's rule number one? Party. No, not party. No, it's not party. Okay, I have one last party pooper, and it's all the white people who keep screwing up Black History Month. Like, there's always some craziness going on during Black History Month. Can y'all just please chill for 28 days? Thank you. Let's get it started in here.
and our party starter of the week. Uh, this is sort of fitting for a political podcast. Uh, I'm going to give the party starter award to all of the Winter Olympic athletes. The Winter Olympics is going on right now. These folks have trained for four years, um, two of them during a very disruptive pandemic. Uh, and I feel especially bad for folks who have contracted COVID uh, while they are waiting to compete uh, in Beijing. And so hats off to the Winter Olympic athletes. I've watched a little bit of it. It's pretty amazing to see some of the snowboarding, the skiing. I'm just like, oh my God, like this is gravity defying. It's really cool. So congrats to those folks. Uh, that is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, send the podcast to a friend that you think might be interested. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.